0: Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2 if you have not turned there already. As we continue our series in the Songs of Christmas, the Songs of the Nativity, and we're looking specifically at those that are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, there's a number of songs that are recorded by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're walking through each of these as we go through our Advent season. Today, the title of the message is The Song of the Shepherds, and Um, as you turn there and as you're getting ready to put your eyes down on the text as we go through it, um, let's think about the shepherds for just a moment and I'll start with a a lighter thought on that. Um, many of our earliest memories of Christmas programs and Christmas pageants, um, involve reenactments of the Nativity, especially with children involved in those. And so, Any kid that has been in a pageant or Christmas play, I would think, would say that beyond Joseph and Mary, the most coveted role would be that of the shepherds. At least that's how it was when I was a kid. Unfortunately, I did not land that part, just to let you know. Instead, I was selected to be one of the sheep with a few other kids. And today's Sunday school lesson, I think now I know why I was selected for that, but nevertheless, Despite my childish protest, my mom made me a wonderful wool hat that sat on my head with ears that stuck out and a t-shirt with cotton balls that were glued all over it and the hat had cotton balls glued all over it as well and then painted my nose black and, uh, and then I was instructed to do my best bleat sound and I made my appearance with the shepherds. And uh, while that might be cute and funny, not really, it was humiliating, but needless to say, um, I'll work through it as I go through this message. The truth is, is that does not capture at all <laughs> the glory of what we see here in this text, and it doesn't capture either why the shepherds were included in the details of Christ's birth. And so, a little lightheartedly, I want us to kind of lift our minds out of the pageants and plays and really look closely at the wonder of this text. And let's ask the question, why were the lowly shepherds selected? Why the lowly shepherds? If you look at verse 8 of our passage, it says, in the same region, that is in the same region in which Christ was born, which is recorded in Matthew in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7... You'll see it says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So why shepherds? Well, here's what we'd say about shepherds. Shepherds were lowly. They were part of the lower class. Because they were nomads moving around from place to place with their flocks, people did not trust them. There was always a controversy, at least in a shepherd's mind, of what is mine and what is yours. And so that made things complicated for relationship with shepherds. They were unable as well to keep the ceremonial law, and they were treated as unclean outcasts. And so think about that for just a moment, because it was to the shepherds the greatest of all the Christmas songs was sung by the angels. This is spectacular because they are the least of all the people that are involved around the setting of the nativity. And they they really are the last group that we would suspect God to involve in the birth of his son. There are no scribes. There are no religious leaders. There's no royalty. There are no kings. And any reference to anyone with any political power, that political power would have been in opposition to the coming of the Messiah. And so when you think about that reality, it was to the shepherds that the angelic news of Christ's birth was delivered. God invites and includes them in his story to teach us something. You want to know what it is? It is the grace of the gospel. Paul Tripp captures this and what he writes, he says, the fact that the announcement of Jesus' birth was made to lowly shepherds teaches that there is no one too low or too lost to be reached by God's redeeming grace. And so today, as we join the shepherd's song, that is the angel's song that was sung in the presence of the shepherds, God sweetly and gently teaches us this wonderful keynote. And this is the big idea that I want you to see in verses 8 through 20. The birth of the Son of God into the world is the great news of salvation for sinners. Let, let me just say it just a, a little bit differently. It is the greatest news Ever announced to a world of sinners. And the shepherds capture that for us. And so for us to see how this song reflects the greatest news announced to a world of sinners, I want us to consider, I want us to really look at a lot of the verbs that are in the text. And I want us to think of three things. I want us to look at, I want us to consider what they heard. I want us to consider what they saw, and then I want us to consider what they did in response to what they heard and what they saw. And in looking at those three things, what they heard, what they saw, and what they did, we will see exactly why the birth, the advent of the Son of God into the world is the greatest news ever announced to a world of sinners. First, what they heard. Look at verse 9. And I really want you to pay close attention to the passage. And so here the shepherds are. They're tending their flocks by night. It's around midnight. And as they're tending their flocks on the hills surrounding Bethlehem, verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm just going to stop there for just a second. And before we consider the announcement that is given to the shepherds, pay attention to the appearance of the angels to, or the angels to the shepherds. Just imagine the scene for a second. Really, truly, imagine it. It's a normal midnight watch for the shepherds. Their eyes and ears would be in tune to all of their surroundings, looking and paying close attention for any danger that might be present that could harm the flock. In the background, you would have heard the noise of the sheep bleating. And then suddenly... In the midst of this very ordinary night, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the Scripture says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so, I- immediately, we we're we're all familiar with some of these these churches that are out here that are. Would would uh, would call themselves charismatic and they talk about angels appearing and they talk about all these different things and really, really the reality is if you look if you ever watch any of that stuff on YouTube it is complete all of it is a farce and none of it reflects what you actually really see in angelic encounters. I mean look look at this it, when it says the glory of the Lord shone around them that wasn't something that was kind of conjured by by a group of people in front of an audience it is literally the literally the glory of the Lord that shone around them a visible manifestation of the glory of God that is it was the radiance or brilliance of his holy presence the consuming fire of His greatness that suddenly is shown all around them. And that is what lit up the night sky. Think about it for a second. Light brighter than the sun and more piercing than a blast of lightning suddenly fixed all around them. You know, we can't stare at the sun, obviously. And we dare not stare at the sun during a solar eclipse. In fact, when there's a solar eclipse, warnings go out about the permanent damage that can be done to one's eyes or one's vision from just a brief glance at the core of the sun. And so imagine such glory that is shown around uh, around these shepherds, and so it is no wonder that the shepherds are terrified, because there is a sense of danger that they felt. And it's not a sense of danger in the sense of something unknown. They felt a sense of danger because they understood that it was something divine, the reality of supernatural, that God suddenly in His holy glory was in their presence, or they were suddenly in His his presence they understood this, and they were absolutely terrified in the ESV underlined it it says they were filled with great fear. King James says that they were sore afraid. it is the kind of fear that almost has a, a it has a physical implication to you that 's how That's how frightened they were by this And so you might say well, why the why such a reaction? Why is the text so Clear that they were that they were filled with fear because they understood the danger That is the danger of being in the presence of a holy god Scripture teaches that there is no evil thing that can be in the unveiled presence of god and they understood themselves, though they were simple, lowly shepherds. There is no reason for us to think that they didn't understand their own mortality and their own state of sinfulness. And it reminds—it's a reminder to all of us that all sinners should be terrified before God's presence. And and so, why? Why? Because the reality is, we know that there is some type of enmity between us and God. So they heard in the midst of this glory that shone all around them, they heard the voice of the angelic messenger speak into their terror. And there are three things in the announcement that they heard. Notice first that the, in the announcement, the first thing that the angel does is he brought good news of great joy, he announces what is brought. Fear not. Why? Again, look at the verse. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Notice that he first assures the shepherds so that their fears are subsided. Fear not. It was understanding that these shepherds would have been so frightened. In fact, if you know, like, that's, that, that did not happen in Mary's case when Gabriel appeared, and she was, she certainly was fearful, but the shining glory and all of that didn't happen in her case, nor did it happen in Zechariah's case. And so the angel speaks and says, fear not, subsiding their fears. And, and, and what I'm drawn to in that is that, is that isn't it always intriguing how God deals with us? With such kindness. He does not condemn their fears. He calms their fears. Instead of giving them a critique of their faith, he gives them a command for their faith. Fear not, calms them, and then he says, behold, I bring you glad tidings, or great news, or good news of great joy. And so, again, it is a reminder that, I don't know, for all of us, we could identify, we could define fear in different ways. A fear of God because of sin, fear and uncertainties, anxieties, all sorts of all sorts of things that our fallen human condition has brought into our experiences. And the first word that God speaks to these shepherds is, fear not for behold. The word behold, which... Is in most translations, I believe. It means this it means perceive. Don't fear, but perceive something. Listen to what we're about to tell you, grasp what we're about to say stand for just a moment amazed at what you're about to hear. Have you ever told someone incredible news? Have you ever had somebody walk in and say, you're not going to believe this, I've got to tell you something. I, I really think to some degree that, that, that is kind of the element behind this. Fear not, we have something to tell you that is absolutely astonishing. I mean, the, the, the text is clear in that. He says, I bring you good news. And in the Greek, the word for good news is evangelizamai. It is the bringing of good news. It is the first evangel. It's He's the first evangel. Making the first proclamation of the gospel. This angel announces. The good news and once they hear it once they hear the pronouncement of this good news and they hear it with faith You know what the result will be they'll have no more fear It will be the very truth the very reality the very news that will dispel their fears And so what the angel is saying here in this good news of great joy is if that they would just listen carefully They will understand the good news that has come to them is come to them to dispel the darkness and fear and separation that sin has brought in the presence of God's glory will be dispelled and instead of fear filling them what will fill them? Joy. And not just joy but great joy. Not joy in the sense of an emotion but joy in the sense of a reality. And he says, I bring you great news, good news of great joy. Look at, look at it. That will be for all the people. It'll be for you, but this will be good news of great joy for all the people. Let's take this outward. First, it was for the shepherds. Second, it was for all the people of Israel to whom the promises of the covenant were given. And then ultimately, this salvation would be to all people, the Gentiles included. This is the greatest news in all the world ever announced to sinners far and wide. And what the angel's emphasizing is that behold perceive it hear it and in hearing believe it and here's the good news what then is this good news well the second thing is who was born the good news is about who was born born today notice again the text for unto you is born this day here's the good news of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord And so if you pause there for just a second, you see that Luke uses the very language of Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to you a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so in other words, the angel is announcing to the shepherds that this Child born in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 verse 6. Now, are you not struck by the reality that that announcement is given to shepherds and not scribes and religious leaders? How glorious is that? And so just as was promised to the people of Israel in the city of David, Micah 5 verse 2, in Bethlehem, who is born? A glorious savior is born we just sang it late in time behold him come the offspring of the virgin's womb veiled in flesh the godhead see hail the incarnate deity please this man with man to dwell jesus our emmanuel and the angel in the announcement of the good news of who is born gives us two titles for this baby he is first our savior Notice again, the first title given is, unto us is born a Savior. Scripture is abundantly clear in what it says about the advent of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to end Roman occupation. He didn't come to end all geopolitical conflicts. He came to be a Savior. Matthew 1 verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And if you just thumb through all the Luke chapter 1 and 2 and you look at every song, every announcement, every prophecy, every prophetic utterance, it is crystal clear that Christ came for the purpose of bringing salvation. Salvation meaning what? The forgiveness of our sins. The totality of the gospel message. The totality of the gospel message is that God has come into the world in Jesus Christ to seek the lost, to die for sinners and to save them by His divine grace—that's the totality of the gospel message. That is the pinnacle of everything that the gospel is. That Christ came into the world to save sinners. Even Jesus, in His earthly ministry, emphasized this. I didn't come to—I I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom as the Redeemer for many. Luke 19, verse 5, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Every step, every unfolding moment of Christ's life, from birth to his his ministry, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection from the dead, and to his ascension. Every step of the way was a demonstration that He came into the world to bring salvation for us from our sins. And so at the core of the Christmas message that echoes here in what they heard is this. The truth of Christmas is that you and I are sinners who need to be rescued. And so hear me, friend. No matter how good No matter how good of a person you think you are, you are not good enough for God to accept you. That's why he had to send his son into the world. The truth of Christmas says that no matter how religious you are or righteous that you may think yourself to be, you have nothing within and can do nothing without To save yourself from the judgment and wrath of God against sin. The truth of at the heart of the gospel is the fact that we deserve to be punished under divine judgment forever. Because we are enemies and rebels against God. And that's why he says, I have great news. I have good news of great joy. Because unto you this day is born a child, a savior. Who has come to save such undeserving, unfaithful sinners like us? That's the good news. And it is the greatest news because a Savior is born. And notice the language, how clear it is. He says, Unto you is born this day, an event has happened today. See how it's anchored into historical reality? he 's saying this has actually happened this isn't the this isn 't myth or legend or this isn 't like you know just the teachings of a religion no something has actually happened in history, and what has happened in history is the promises given to David have come are now fulfilled in david 's town, Bethlehem. What has been fulfilled a savior who is what christ the lord that 's the second title and so when he says a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, this title shows us why Jesus is able to save us. And if you're you to be a Christian, then as a Christian, this is something you must confess and believe. That he, Christ Jesus, is the eternal Lord, the Son of God, who has eternally existed, second person of the Trinity, Who has been eternally loved by God the Father. The eternal Son of God. The eternal Son of God is the Christ. The anointed Messiah. Born to Mary in Bethlehem as the God-man. And when the angel says, when he says Christ the Lord, what he's indicating to the shepherds is that in his birth, the Son of God does not cease to be God, but instead he has taken upon himself human nature. That is the wondrous mystery of the incarnation, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. The creator of the universe, in essence, now this is what the shepherds are hearing, the creator of the universe, the son of God, is now cradled as an infant In his mother's arms. it, It had to be astounding to hear this. And in this way he has come down from heaven. In this way this is how the son of God. Who has always existed. Has come down from heaven. Has entered into the world. Has descended from his throne. To save us. It means. And here's what it means to the shepherds and to us. It means that God has not abandoned us, that hope is not lost, that 4,000 years of darkness up to this point has now been broken with radiant light because God himself has entered into the thick of our mess to rescue us. Emmanuel, God with us. And, you know, what, here's what's astounding. The angel doesn't explain this wonder. He just announces it. He doesn't get into a, a rational debate. He announces it, and the expectation is we believe it. We believe it. We accept it. We receive it. Who is born? A glorious Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? But here's the third thing that they heard quickly. The third thing that they heard quickly is what is bestowed verse 12 a gracious sign In a manger look at verse 12. So after he gives the good news And this will be a sign for you You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and cloths and lying in a manger In other words the sign given to you the evidence of what we have announced that the messiah christ the lord the son of god the Savior has come. The sign that proves it all is that you will go to Bethlehem and you will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so the angel tells them this. Now here's what's interesting about this sign. Follow me here for a second. Part of prenatal care is always to, or I should say part of caring for an infant was when, they, when they're born, you wrap them, you know what I'm talking about, those blankets that only nurses can somehow wrap those babies in. Right? Christy has given birth to five kids, and I would, we would watch that, and we can never, you just never can replicate how tight they wrap those infants in those blankets. Well, that's no different today as it was then. They wrapped infants in, in swaddling cloths, strips of cloth, so that the infant would be warm, would be protected from any elements, and would be secure, or have that feeling of security that it would have had, that the infant would have had in the womb. And now the infant would have that in the mother's arms. Now, here's what I'm certain of. Trek with me here. I'm pretty sure that there were at least a few babies born that night in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes. But there was only one. That was lying in a manger. Lying in a feeding trough. Three times Luke uses the phrase, lying in a manger. To show the great paradox of the glory that surrounds the birth of this child. With the angel announcing, with the heavenly host, we'll see in a minute, singing and appearing and singing. With all the wonder of the announcement, this child, this king, this son of David, is not born in a palace but a stable. This child is not lay, is is not put to rest in a crib in a in the room of a princess, but in a feeding trough for animals because there was no room in the end. Why? Demonstrating that our God has come down from the throne of heaven to enter into our fallen world and our messy lives. What a beautiful picture. Oh, what a profound mystery. Can you imagine what those shepherds would have would have experienced when they first looked upon the baby's precious face Seeing him in such humble circumstances, knowing that the angel had said to them that this is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Spurgeon said it, God has condescended to assume your nature, that he might save you and me. All of this is necessary for our salvation. But think about it, the very baby that would be laid in that manger, 33 three years later... He would hang on a Roman cross, crucified by wicked hands, crushed by the weight of God's wrath, so that those shepherds and you and I could be forgiven of every sin and be made right with the God of heaven. How profound is that? I mean, the mystery doesn't end in the, in the, in the manger. The wonder of it all continues because through this child, how will he save us? He will save us through a cross. He will save us by dying on a cross and bearing the weight of God's wrath for our sin that he might save us from our sin. And here's the thing. I don't want you just to think about him saving us from our sin in the sense of just saving us from God's wrath. The text says that he will save his people from their sins. And so it doesn't, so you may be here today and you might say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner in general, but Christ has come to deliver us from the slavery of sin. What sins have you been saved from? What sins do you walk into this room with? What addictions, what things have you given yourself over to? And here's the message of the angel. Hear it. You can be forgiven and you can be delivered by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to save you so that you and I would not be enslaved to sexual sins. He came to save us so that we wouldn't be enslaved to idolatry and to uh, godless worship. He came to save us so that we would no longer serve ourselves, but serve him who died and was raised on our behalf. All of that is what they would have heard in this message. And so the song applied quickly is this, you and I must hear the glorious joy of the good news. Do you hear it? And do you hear it with joy? Not just with our heads, but with our hearts. But there's more, and I'm going to move quickly now, at least a little bit more quickly. Notice not only what they heard, but what they saw. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So after they hear this, and then more happens. Notice first the great multitude that was seen. Verse 13, after they heard this good news, here's what God did. I mean, it's just profound. God pulled back the heavenly curtain and the heavenly host was seen by the angels or by the shepherds praising God. Now to understand what happens here, do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 6 when the Syrian army had surrounded the city of Dothan and Elisha... There was there was clear there was clear preparations that they were making to attack the city And they wanted to kill the prophet elisha and prophets the prophet's servant was all he was terrified And so what happens is elisha tells him you don't have anything to fear There are more of us than there are of them And and the servants like oh, okay. I mean, I don't see anybody I mean, I don't see an army in this city bigger than the army of the Syrians. And then what does Elisha do? He prays and he asks Yahweh, he asks the Lord to open the eyes of his servants so that he will see the heavenly hosts encamped around the city. And do you know what the Lord does? He opens the eyes of of Elisha's servant and what he sees are chariots and an army of angels that are surrounding that city that are going to protect Elisha. The prophet and the city. Now you you wonder why that's relevant. Because that unseen army of angels appears to the shepherds. Direct connection. And their appearance to the shepherds is not for protection, but for praise. The angels appear. The heavenly host, the army of angels, appears to the shepherds. And what are they doing? They are singing and praising God because of the good news of the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so this great multitude is seen and a glorious melody is sung. Look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. This is no hymn. This is the third hymn in Luke's gospel. But this is no hymn that rises from earth at this point. Instead, it is the anthem of heaven that descends upon the shepherds on earth just like the Savior descends through the virgin birth. Isn't it just wonderful? They sing. The angels sing. The angels, for whom there is no redemption for angels. When the angels fell, there was no, those angels that fell, there is no salvation for them. None. Salvation is only for the race of men. That's it. And the angels are astonished by this. That a holy and righteous God, in His infinite wisdom, and in His infinite power, has made a way for sinful creatures to be saved And to be redeemed. In fact, Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 1 that angels, they long to look into the story of redemption. And every time they appear in it, they are absolutely praising God for it. So the angels sing the highest degree of praise. And what they say is God is to be glorified for many reasons. But the most profound reason that all glory should be given to God is because his grace for sinners J.C. Ryle the 19th century preacher and pastor in England wrote this Now has come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of his son Jesus Christ in the, into the world He by his life and death on the cross will glorify God's attributes Justice holiness mercy and wisdom as they never were glorified before. That's what astounds the angels That in the coming of Jesus Christ, not one ounce of God's character is at all compromised. In Christ, he remains both just and yet merciful. Holy and yet gracious. As he makes the way for sinners to have peace on earth. And there's that benediction. Look at the text. And on earth, glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some text translations say, and goodwill to men. But this declaration of peace on earth is not about the Roman Empire. It's interesting because the Roman Empire was experiencing an incredible time of peace. There were no wars, at least known conflicts at this time in the Roman Empire. But the peace was temporary, and it came at the high price of war. And so the angels here sing of peace that comes to sinners through Jesus. This peace is the peace that comes to sinners who are at war with God, and we are at war with God. We're at war with him, we're at war with ourselves, and we are at war with others. Do you have conflict, conflictions within your heart? heart? do you have struggles do you have those th- what what has caused all that sin has caused all that and in the scriptures are clear that we're at war with god and and then we, that that all of that all of that sin pours out into our relationship and what jesus has done is jesus in his first advent has come to secure peace between god and sinners that is to make a way for you and me to be at peace with god through his atoning death On the cross he was born for this reason and he through his birth sinless life atoning death and resurrection from the dead has provided the only means that you and I can have true and lasting peace and what I mean by peace is the ending of the conflict the conflict has ended because Christ has ended it at the cross and if, you want to, if, you, if we want to have that peace, then we must repent of our sin and believe on him. Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is, all of God's glorious attributes were in him and through him, the God-man, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What that means is he's accomplished redemption and peace for sinners. Through his death on the cross and so christmas means That through Christ's incarnation and atonement sinners can have peace with god Romans 5 1 therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ And so as a direct result of peace with god Once once we are forgiven of our sins and we enter into a right relationship with god God begins to bring that peace into our hearts. It doesn't mean every problem is solved But what it means is the central problem is solved and the Holy Spirit now dwells within us to end the other conflicts over the course of our Christian lives. And the more that we live in the gospel, the more we experience that peace within and that peace with others in the Christian home and in the Christian church. That peace is at work through the gospel. Think about it. People who would otherwise not be together are together because of one reason, christ who was born in bethlehem and of all people we should be able to work through every conflict because we have experienced the salvation that has ended the great conflict the cross and if the cross becomes the center of our hearts and the center of our homes and the center of our churches then guess what we begin to realize, even though we can struggle, I'm not saying we don't struggle with things, but what I'm saying is there's, we do not have to have bitterness or grudges, and we can forgive, and we can be forgiven as well, and we can forbear with people who might, as one book I'm reading right now, drive us crazy. Because Christ has provided the means for that to happen. And that's the gospel at work in our lives, peace. Peace. One of the great ironies of World War I happened in December of 1914, the Christmas truce. Both armies, the British and the French, the allies, and then the German armies were in in the trenches there dividing in France. And on Christmas of December, on Christmas 1914, those armies came out of the trenches and had peace for one day in no man's land played soccer, exchanged various goods that they had, sang Christmas carols. This is the craziest story in the world. And one author says one of the few things about the combatants, one of the few things that they agreed on was the centrality of Christmas. But both sides also expected there would be no letdown in the war. But actually, the truth of the gospel is the opposite of that. If we agree. By faith in the gospel, not only is the war over, but the conflicts can end too. Isn't that great? And so for true believers, the war is over. And despite how conflicted we might be at times with ourselves or with others, our conflicts, they are often unnecessary. And the gospel has something to say to that. That's why the angels, say, the angels sing peace on earth. And that leads us to the application quickly. We must sing glory to God for his salvation and live in the peace of the gospel. That's what the song is celebrating. That glory to God for his salvation, and now we may live in that peace. We might need help with peace, but that, God, that will come through the gospel. And so notice now what the, in the shepherd's song we see what they've heard, we see what they've seen. But the last thing we want to look at is what they did. Look at verse 15 and 16. So after all of this, what would you do? <laughs> I mean, the, the heavenly host appeared and sang. You've seen this. You've heard this good news of the Savior, Christ the Lord, being born. And so what did they do? First, they sought and found him, verse 15 and 16. When the angels went away from a, in, into heaven. Now just pause there for just a minute. Right, did you hear that? That's like, that's like watching the Avengers. You know, like when who's Dr. Strange, like opens up the portals and then they pass through them. Sorry, that's how my mind works. The angels went away from them in heaven. Like what? (laughs) Like there they are, this army, and all of a sudden, they're gone. So it says, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I mean, they were out of there. They were so overwhelmed by what happened. They sought and they found him. And notice the text again. He says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Not this religious teaching, not this, no, 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 this thing, this event that has happened in human history. It's unfolding in front of our eyes. Oh, that we would have the same reaction to the truth of the gospel. Although we would hear this and just do what they did, trust it, believe it. God said this and we believe it. And they went and they saw all of it in the face of that infant baby. That's the gospel. It's something that's happened, made known by divine revelation. They heard, they sought, they found. And when they found him, they became the certain poor shepherds that we sang about in the beginning of the service. They were lowly. But at the end of this, they were sure about Christ. And so, oh, that we would believe in that same way. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you read this and say, let me read that again. And the angels went up in heaven? What kind of story is this? It's the true story of how you and me, you and I, can be saved. And then they shared it with others. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, they didn't just tell Mary and Joseph what they heard. They were telling everybody. A heavenly host appeared. No, an angel appeared and told us that this baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord. They became the first evangelists, the commentators say, making known to them what the angel said. The good news now became the very meaning of their life. Isn't that what happens to you when you truly experience salvation? I think we as Christians spend too much time talking about what, how we have to behave rather than what we need to believe. Start with what you need to believe and then talk about how to behave. What we believe. Christ came. Christ died. Christ is risen. He's the savior. He's forgiven us. That will fuel obedience. And they could not help but talk of this. Families, talk about it in your homes, at your workplace. Talk about it with people who may have never heard that what a Christian is, is not someone who has it all together, but someone who believes in a Savior who has come to save them from their sins. Share the good news. And then lastly, they worship God for all they had witnessed. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Don't you love the way this whole passage ends? The text says Mary treasured all these things. That mother of the Lord Jesus Christ treasured, pondered them, thought about all that happened. Isn't that the Christian life? We remember the old, old story. Over and over again. And it never gets old. There's not a Christmas in 20 years that I've been preaching as a pastor. Almost 20 years. That I've not come to these texts and thought, I want to read it all over again. I want to preach it all over again and see the wonder of this gospel. Because it's everything. And I don't even have to have a pulpit the preaching because even outside of here it is everything to our lives as christians isn't it every christmas don't you want your unbelieving family just to hear it just to know it don't you slide in little things like little books little like what's this book this year oh just another book about jesus just praying that they'll get it the song applied is this the shepherds returned glorifying god and praising him for all they had seen and heard and I, don't you love the text? that says, just as it had been told, God does everything just as he says. He keeps his promises. And so we respond to the wonder of the gospel with faithful witness and faithful worship. That's why we sing. That's why we praise. And so as we close today, simple Christmas pageants and plays can never capture the wonder of what's in the word, right? They can be endearing to our heart and funny when we tell the stories, but we need God's word so that we can properly sing and worship in response. So before we worship one more time, let me ask you these questions. Do you hear the gospel? Do you hear it like they heard it? Do you hear it and believe it? And is your heart filled with joy? Do you believe the goodness of the gospel and have peace with God? Do you believe it? Do you believe it with all of your heart and have peace? And do you share this good news with others and live a life of worship to Jesus Christ? I pray you do, believer. And if you're here today and you have never truly received him, would you do that today, believing in what you have heard? Let's stand and let us worship. Let's bow our heads and let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, thank you for your holy and inspired word. And thank you for the truth revealed in the song of the shepherds. May we never grow tired of hearing these things explained. May you continue to open our eyes and our hearts to the to the wonder of what has come to us in salvation through Jesus Christ. And may we now sing, in light of the song of the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And may that peace, may that peace come into our hearts and overflow in our lives as we share the gospel and as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.